Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Please hit subscribe if you've not already done so. My guest today is Roger Veer. Roger is one of the earliest investors, believers, evangelists for Bitcoin and the future of cryptocurrency and the blockchain. He's invested in a number of startups and managed to buy Bitcoin when it was still very, very cheap. Uh, much less than its current price of over $600. In our conversation today, I wanted to get schooled on cryptocurrency, blockchain, Bitcoin, a uh, little bit about its future and what considerations are important to be making. I realize that a lot of people out there aren't particularly familiar, so this is a great kind of crash course to first get your feet wet. But there is a ton of research to dive into a ton of resources out there and and Roger goes through a couple towards the end. So hopefully this will be kind of your first step into the deep end or if you're more familiar, uh, an opportunity to learn from someone and hear the opinions of someone who is pretty well entrenched in the cryptocurrency community. I learned a lot and I think you will too. So please enjoy my conversation with Roger Veer. Roger, thank you so much for coming to my podcast. I'm excited to be talking to you today. So glad to be on, Aaron. Thank you. I have so many questions here. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all of them in our limited time. But uh, to, to start things off, set the stage, I'd love it if you could just talk a little bit about when, how and when you first became aware of Bitcoin and uh, just kind of take us back to that uh, time and place. So I think maybe we need to go way, way, way back um, to the late 90s. And I remember first reading about the idea of online digital cash that wasn't that worked just like cash, where there's no central issuer. Or, and people like Milton Friedman and the cypherpunks, you know, I was reading their, their stuff back then. And I thought, wow, that's going to be so exciting when that comes along. And around that same time, PayPal came. And I knew PayPal wasn't exactly that, but PayPal was a huge step uh, you know, over anything that existed before, I was already selling computer parts online. And before PayPal, the majority of the customers would actually have to go to the post office and buy a postal money order and then ship the postal money order in the mail. And uh, I'd wait for it to show up in the mail before shipping their, their product. And then PayPal came along. And obviously, that was a huge step over, you know, mailing postal money orders. But, you know, PayPal is still this centralized service. They can cut you off at any time for any reason. They control who gets to use it and who can't. And uh, I had been waiting from that time on for, you know, true internet cash to come along. And then uh, in, let's see, late 2010, I heard about Bitcoin uh, in reference to the Silk Road. And I just kind of glanced at it a little bit. The price of Bitcoin at that time was around 10 cents each. And I didn't dig deep enough, unfortunately, to understand that it was actual digital cash for the internet at that point. So I just looked into it a little bit, thought, oh, this is mildly interesting, but didn't didn't understand the decentralized nature and didn't look into it enough. And then it wasn't until a couple months later, maybe February or March of 2011, I heard about it again, again in reference to the Silk Road. And then I Googled it again. And that's when I put all the pieces together that, oh my God, this thing that I've been waiting for to come into existence since the late 90s is finally here. We finally have internet cash that nobody can control and anybody can use anywhere in the world just like that. And, uh, you know, it was off to the races from there. And uh, I haven't looked back since. And you've done well for yourself 
by kind of getting in early. Uh, Bitcoin is now significantly more valuable than the uh, the 10 or the 50 cents that it was back then. Can you talk a little bit about how you made that decision to start buying Bitcoin? And, and if, I mean, I'm sure that there's, uh, you came across criticism and you came across kind of negative feedback along the way, but what was that decision like? It sounds like the stage and the, the mindset was already set through your previous reading. It wasn't some sort of kind of impulsive purchase. Yeah, so my hobby from a young age, since maybe junior high school-ish, um, had been studying economics, and my career and other hobby had been using computers, so I could understand enough of the computer background, and definitely had a strong background in, in economics to really understand this, that the supply of Bitcoin is limited, and as more and more people start to use Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoins in terms of dollars will have to increase. So my first purchase of Bitcoin, unfortunately, was not at 10 cents each, it was at about a dollar each, and... uh I bought a, a bunch of Bitcoins and I was calling a, another friend of mine actually named Aaron and was telling him all about Bitcoin and how this is going to be so amazing and this is going to change everything and this is such an incredible thing and look, look at this, look at this, look at this. And he was not convinced at all. And in kind of a sarcastic manner, he told me, Roger, if you really think Bitcoins are so great, why don't you buy more of them? And he was, he was saying that you know, in a negative manner. But when he said that to me, I, I thought about it and I said, yeah, you're right. And so the next day I went out and bought even more Bitcoins. So I should thank him for, for pushing me in that way to buy even more Bitcoins. And then uh, I wound up investing in different Bitcoin startups uh, around the world to make Bitcoin easier for people to use. Because back then there weren't really any easy to use wallets. There were no smartphone wallets. There, were, there weren't really even any websites that you could use Bitcoin on. Uh, there wasn't much of anything other than this idea. But the idea was so clearly laid out. And from my studying of economics in, in the past, like I knew people are going to start using Bitcoin as money. And sure enough, here we are, you know, six years later and people are using uh, Bitcoin as money more and more every day to, to the point where, uh, where the network's congested. So many people are using Bitcoin as money. And part of why this is such a big idea really goes into the the technology that is making this possible and in the ever expanding lists of technology buzzwords and you know you hear people talk about AI and machine learning and these other concepts the blockchain technology is another one that falls under that umbrella. But whereas, you know, when someone says artificial intelligence, I think that a lot of people, have maybe, you know, <laughs> right or wrong, have seen enough movies to kind of at least have an idea in their head of what that really means. I think that, or at least in my experience, blockchain is still something that is more opaque for people, that, that is takes longer, is a little harder for people to wrap their minds around. And really, you know, this is starting to be applied to uh, areas outside of just a currency. There's people applying blockchain to a number of different industries. So I, I think you'd agree that that's, that's a big part of what makes this so exciting. But can you talk a little bit more about why this is such a big idea, why this is something that's gotten you and so many other people to be so excited? So before Bitcoin, it was impossible for two people on two different sides of the planet to interact with each other financially. Uh, without having to get permission from you know banks or corporations or governments. And now suddenly with Bitcoin, everybody can be on this exact same financial platform and interact with anybody else without having to ask for permission from anybody else. And that's a, you know, if you've studied economics, you realize that free trade makes everybody better off. The free flow of capital makes everybody better off. And 
the more economics you stu- you've studied, the more you'll realize that Bitcoin is just going to be this you know huge gigantic benefit to the entire human race because now free trade is is more freely available to more people across the world, and that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. So if you care about you know human prosperity and and want to alleviate human suffering and raise the standard of living of everybody on the planet, uh, you know the internet plus Bitcoin that's that's such just a, such an incredibly powerful tool, tool to do that. And before Bitcoin, we only had half the equation. We only had the internet half, but now we have the, the internet money to go with it. So when you look to the future and, and the impact that this is going to have, do you have any explicit predictions of things that are going to have to change uh, due to this technology and, and the power that it holds? I hope that it's going to make everybody across the planet realize that it's not okay for one small group of people to get to boss everybody else around and tell everybody else what they can or can't do, which is the system that we've had up until now. And that system has been mainly controlled by these small groups of people controlling the money and who gets to use money and who gets to send and receive money with who. And suddenly Bitcoin strips away that power from those people completely. And that's definitely to the benefit of all of humankind. And, uh, I think that's a really exciting. I can't think of anything more exciting to be uh, a part of. So uh, that's going to be a really, really, really powerful force for good across the planet. Getting a little bit more focused on the concept of a cryptocurrency that is, uh, you know, not beholden to some centralized power. Bitcoin is the most famous. Uh, the biggest, the one that's probably top of mind for most people that are not particularly familiar with the world of cryptocurrency. But there's a number of other coins and uh, technologies out there that are in some way replicating or you know building a similar model to uh, how Bitcoin is set up. As someone who's been a Bitcoin evangelist and invested in a number of Bitcoin-related companies, how do you think about these other cryptocurrencies? Are are we going to see a future where there's five commonly held cryptocurrencies, a hundred, a thousand? How do they become relevant in relation to one another? Yeah, um, to answer your question is, uh, I don't know. This is also brand new to, to everyone in the whole world. Uh, Bitcoin definitely has the first mover advantage, but the places where I see Bitcoin most being most susceptible to competition from other cryptocurrencies is in the scalability and then the level of privacy. Bitcoin isn't nearly as private as people thought uh, originally, and uh, I see some of these other coins having a chance to compete against Bitcoin on those two in those two areas. Um, but time time will tell. Which one? And at the end of the day, I think there's going to be one currency that is used by more people than anybody else. And the the properties that that has to have is is it has to be completely fungible. It has to have low fees, fast confirmation times, or zero you know zero confirmation transactions have to be as safe as possible. It has to have all the characteristics that you know the Austrian School of Economics have defined as making money money. And up till now, Bitcoin has had that more than the other competitors, but it's losing that in some areas, especially due to the network congestion, which is driving the fees up and making the confirmation times take longer and making zero confirmation transactions less safe than they were previously. Um, so I'm, I'm actually more than a little bit concerned on some of these areas, but I'm, I'm working hard to, to remedy those problems. Are there any other coins in particular that you are maybe bullish on that you're excited for their potential? Or are you kind of yet to see one that gets you excited? I think the coins that are worth keeping an eye on are the ones that do something better than Bitcoin. 
uh, and the ones that do do something better than Bitcoin are primarily in the privacy uh, and fungibility space. So the ones to keep an eye on would be Zcash, Zcoin, and uh, Monero, and then Dash maybe to a slightly lesser degree because it doesn't seem to be as private as some of the other ones I just named. But those are ones that I would keep an eye on at, at the moment. Moving into kind of this related concept, uh, you're also a big proponent of voluntarism. Uh, it's a libertarian philosophy which holds that all forms of human associ- association should be voluntary. We shouldn't be forced into arrangements or agreements by physical force. And this is clearly related to the concept of a cryptocurrency where there isn't the centralized power that controls the flow of money. But in general, this concept is one that is not particularly familiar to people. You're, you're less likely to hear about this in, uh, you know, in my, my public school education. It didn't happen to come up uh, or much even in, in my college education. So I'm curious, as someone who's, who's a vocal proponent of this idea, where you came across it, how you developed this as a value for yourself, and uh, why, why you think this is something that we can aspire to as a society. Yeah, um, I wasn't born this way. And I think like a lot of libertarians or voluntarists, not all, but a lot of them, I came to this conclusion from studying economics. And the more economics I studied, the more I realized that using coercion or force in relationships between people make at least one of the parties be- uh, worse off. And probably both people are, are not are in the long run are, are not better off because of it. And so the more economics I studied, the, the more I realized that you know government intervention in the economy is holding the entire world back and preventing the world from being as prosperous and well off as it otherwise would have been. And from one year to the next, you know maybe it's not that big of a deal. But if you just think that maybe the governments have been retarding the rate of economic growth by just one percent, if you compound that over the last you know hundred plus years, that makes it absolutely gigantic gigantic difference in the standard of living of people around the world today. And then it wasn't until much, much later that I started reading some of the philosophy behind it. And when you hear it, it's pretty simple. I, but they, like you said, they never point this out to you in, in public school or even in college or in, in you know, most places in the mass media. And the, the, the easiest way to explain it is that you cannot delegate a right that you don't have. And a group of people cannot delegate a right that none of them have. So where does government get the authority to do all these things that no individual has the right to do or no collection of individuals would would have the right to do? And I I think the answer is that they don't have the moral authority to do any of those things. And it's just because everybody is taken for granted that they do, that they don't stop to think and and question it. But uh, it's crazy talk. If I went around to all my neighbors near where I live and told them, hey, I'm going to be in charge of you know, safety for the area. And if I find any, any robbers or criminals, I, I have this cage that I built. I'm going to lock them in it. But you're going to help me pay for this, this cage and for my policing, and uh, you're going to pay me for it. And if you don't pay me for, for this policing, I'm going to lock you in the cage. All my neighbors would think I'm a nutcase for threatening in that, that, that way. But government agents do the exact same thing. They go to a group of people living in a certain area and say, we're going to keep all the criminals out. But you're going to pay us to do that. And if you aren't interested in our services for that, we're going to lock you in the cage. And if, if I can't do that on my own, or me and a couple of my neighbors can't do that on my own, we don't have the ability to delegate the, the right to the police or the courts or any other government agents to, to do those sorts of things if we don't have that uh, right inherent in, in ourselves. So the whole thing just really breaks down. And it seems pretty clear once you hear it, that each individual owns themselves and they own their, their own property that they've acquired either by trade or by mixing their labor with something that was previously unowned. 
And uh, that's how almost everybody deals with everybody else on a daily basis. If you go to Starbucks, Starbucks is asking you to buy their coffee. They're not telling you to buy their coffee. And if Starbucks started threatening people saying, you have to buy our coffee or we'll send you to jail, everybody would be appalled at Starbucks and say, you can't do that. That's horrible. Yet somehow when when another entity does the exact same thing, but people give it the name government, everybody just gives it a free pass and doesn't seem to stop and think for a moment that, hey, if Starbucks did this, this would be horrible and wrong. So why is it okay when these other people that wear fancy costumes and work in buildings with flags out in front, it's, it's wrong when they do it too. So I, I don't make exceptions uh, for that sort of thing. And uh, so the short answer is I got, I got there from studying economics. And then later I studied the philosophy behind it a bit more and, and on both sides, on the economic side and on the moral side. Government doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's a, it's a highly aspirational idea, and I think that I, I don't think I know that you're not alone in holding a lot of those values. I'm, I'm curious, outside of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, what else you believe can help bring about this type of ideal society that you've outlined? I wish I had an answer for you there. I I, I don't think I do. Other than uh, the internet's really really help, helping to bring these ideas to new people that would have never heard about it otherwise. Today in my life, I know lots and lots and lots of voluntarists, and most of them became voluntarists within you know, the last five or ten years because of ideas they were exposed to on the Internet. So uh, I think the, you know, the best solution is just to allow people to talk about these ideas, and the Internet allows them to, to be spread. And just like long, long ago, everybody thought the world was flat until somebody was able to point out that it wasn't and provide the evidence for that. Long, long ago and up until, you know, even today, most people think that government has some sort of moral authority to rule over other people. But now more and more people are pointing out why that's not the case. And as people hear that, I think they'll start to realize that that doesn't make sense. There is no such thing as the, the moral authority or the moral right to, for one group of people to rule over other people. Yeah. Similarly, uh, an idea for me that I've only come across in the last few years and uh, excited to be you know, discussing it and sharing it with uh, with the listeners and, and through the course of this interview, Roger. I, I actually do want to get back. I have a couple more questions about cryptocurrency in, a, in a maybe a more practical level for people um, who, if, if they're new to it or they've not experienced using a cryptocurrency before, I'd love to maybe dispel some rumors or myths around how it works and uh, explain a little bit just about how they can actually go about maybe purchasing their first cryptocurrency uh, if given the opportunity. Um, so I just set up a Bitcoin wallet a few days ago, or I'm sorry, a few weeks ago, and had been hearing about this for a few years, but kind of felt too uninformed to actually make the move. And I probably missed the train uh, in terms of, you know, the the huge, you know, 600x returns that you've been able to get by being so early into Bitcoin. Uh, but the, one of the rumors that is spun around, and you, you hear these different events, like the one with Mt. Gox, is that the security of the cryptocurrency is is called into question. So how do you think about the security of these currencies? And if, if you'd feel comfortable talking about how you go about protecting your uh, cryptocurrency or your investment in these, these ideas? So with regards to Bitcoin specifically, all these news stories that people may have heard about with things like Mt. Gox or Bitfinex or these things where people lost their money or lost their bitcoins it was because they were allowing somebody else to hold the bitcoins on their behalf and that if you're doing that you're kind of missing the whole point of bitcoin with bitcoin you can hold the bitcoins on your own computer or your own phone 
And it's very, very important to understand the distinction between a Bitcoin wallet in which you as the user are holding the Bitcoins and a Bitcoin bank in which you're allowing somebody else to hold the Bitcoins on your behalf. So over on Bitcoin.com, we've tried to make it very clear what, what the difference is between Bitcoin banks and Bitcoin wallets. And I implore everybody to use Bitcoin wallets rather than Bitcoin banks. And you're much, much, much less likely to run into any sort of trouble that way. What are some of the biggest examples of Bitcoin wallets? Is it just a general thing or are there companies specifically associated with that? Yeah, so um, for iPhone, the biggest examples of Bitcoin wallets would be Bread Wallet or Mycelium or there's a hybrid model which still is close enough, I think, is another one called blockchain.info where they keep an encrypted backup for you but they don't have access to the backup. Only you as the user have that. And then for Android, there's a bunch of apps as well that uh, one's one's actually called Bitcoin Wallet. Again, Mycelium, Bread Wallet, Blockchain is there. Uh, and then for your desktop computer, there's all sorts of wallets as well where you're holding the actual keys that are required to spend the Bitcoins. So Bitcoin Unlimited, Bitcoin Core, there's uh, a bunch of multi, let's see, multi-bit. There's just so many. Electrum, there's just more and more all the time, which is really good for the ecosystem that people have so many choices having Having choices is, is a good thing. Um, examples of Bitcoin banks, which Bitcoin banks have a, have a purpose. They're fantastic for buying and selling Bitcoins to and from dollars or euros or things like that. But examples of Bitcoin banks would be things like Coinbase or Circle or Zappo, which have a place in the ecosystem. But I really don't recommend using them to store your Bitcoins. Uh, it's, and certainly not for long-term storage. Gotcha. How do these transactions between different people work if if i'm selling what let's say uh let's say i'm selling my computer to someone and i want to be paid in bitcoin what is the process of receiving a payment on uh, through bitcoin do i share how, how do i share like my wallet how do i receive that payment so you all anybody needs to know in order to be able to send you money with bitcoin is your bitcoin address so you could post that on Facebook or email it to them or Twitter or text message or whatever method you want, and you just tell them your Bitcoin address, and then they would just tell their Bitcoin wallet, send however many dollars worth of Bitcoins to your Bitcoin address, and then boom, it's sent. And then there's this worldwide ledger called the Bitcoin blockchain that gets updated on average once every 10 minutes, and that ledger will be updated to, to record that transaction that, that so-and-so sent you however many dollars worth of Bitcoins. Uh, to your to your Bitcoin address, and then once you have them, you're able to spend them or to to whoever you want, whenever you want to buy something with Bitcoin. So you can think of the Bitcoin blockchain kind of as this big giant worldwide ledger in the sky that nobody's in control of and nobody can censor and shut down. And that ledger is used to keep track of who owns what Bitcoins and and all the different Bitcoin transactions that are happening. And you can actually see the transactions happening live in real time if you go over to a website called uh, www.blockchain.info. Info. Yeah, blockchain.info. And you can see all of these transactions streaming live right before your eyes. And it's amazing. It's, you know, millions and millions of dollars will be scrolling by the screen right, right there before your eyes. And you can kind of feel the, that the Bitcoin network's alive and millions of people around the world are using it and, and using it for real commerce. And it's, it's really fun to, to see that in, in action right before your eyes. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, definitely going to check that out and share it in the show notes for this episode so that other people can check it out as well. Roger, I really appreciate you coming on. Before we tell people how to connect with you and you issue a personal challenge to the audience, uh, is there anything I just didn't give you a chance to say today? Um, for people that are wondering why you would actually want to use Bitcoin in your own life, even if it sounds neat and interesting, even if you're not a voluntarist and, and you're not interested in separating 
money from the control of governments. Uh, a great reason is uh, you can save you know, 15 or 20% off of every single purchase from Amazon.com. And you can do that using a website called purse.io. And uh, lots and lots of people that I know in my personal life that didn't care about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or the Federal Reserve or voluntarism or any of this at all, when I told them they can save you know, 15 or 20% off of every purchase from Amazon, boom, they were ready to get a Bitcoin wallet and start saving because it's really, really easy. And who doesn't like to save money? Absolutely. Uh, we'll be sure to link that as well, Roger. But if people want to learn more about you, connect with you in the digital world, uh, what coordinates would you like us to point them towards? So my, my personal website is rogerveer.com, but I'm also very active on the forums over at uh, forum.bitcoin.com and uh, very active with bitcoin.com in general. So bitcoin.com is a good way to get a hold of me as well. Cool. Well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast. Uh, you'll be able to find the show notes for this in every episode of the show. And as we do at the end of every episode, I'm going to give Roger the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Yeah, it's, it's very easy. If you've been hearing about Bitcoin and haven't used it yourself yet, pull out your smartphone, open the App Store or the Google Play Store and uh, look for a Bitcoin wallet and install it and give it a try. Um, and if, you've already, if you're already a Bitcoin pro and know what you're doing... Uh, Set up one friend or family member with their first Bitcoin wallet as well and give them, you know, 50 cents or a dollar worth of Bitcoin to get started. And you mentioned earlier that maybe you're too late for the 600 times increase that uh, I've been able to see in the price of Bitcoin. If Bitcoin continues to gain popularity and, and get more and more traction around the world, the price of Bitcoin can still go up by another 1000 times from where it is today. So it's not too late at all. Well, thank you so much, Roger. That is a, uh, a pretty exciting challenge. I hope that a lot of folks out there will take it and continue to self-educate on this concept. Uh, it is big. It does require some, some reading and research, but certainly well worth it. Thank you again so much. We just went deep with Roger Veer. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening. Please hit subscribe if you've not already done so, so you can make sure to tune into all our great forthcoming episodes. Our next episode is actually going to be similarly related to this cryptocurrency conversation. I'm interviewing Joe Lubin of Consensus, a incubator for Ethereum-related startups based out of New York. Joe's all in on Ethereum and the future of cryptocurrency, so we get into why Ethereum might be the next big cryptocurrency. Quite a few people have predicted it will overtake Bitcoin. I am frankly just not particularly educated on this, so I was excited to learn from it and excited to be sharing it with you as well on a future episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson.